Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What the Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this series will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Chloe. And I'm Isaac. And in this episode, we're talking about chapter 14 of Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. would like to take a minute to say something if that's okay we have a tiny platform that we have created for this podcast and it only reaches you know a small amount of people but i think it's still important to say that with everything that is going on and has been going on we are your allies that we are here that we see you i think it's really important that we say things to one another and keep a community going because if we don't educate ourselves we're never gonna make any change happen and i think it's paramount that change happens amen when we release these episodes we're always kind of a week late we're always a week after the news but um this is a moment that is not just in this moment this moment started 400 years ago and um we've all been complicit and by we i mean white people something that i know that i'm guilty of is avoiding saying the thing that can sound quite harsh we're past the time where it's important to say the harsh thing which is we live in a racist country or at least maybe i'm just particularly aware of the systemic racism in the us and the united kingdom but yes across the world it's everywhere yeah we hope to be quite open to the fact that we are learning. We've got stuff wrong. We'll say things too late. We won't say things at all that we need to say. But we're going to do our best to do better. It is a time. 2020 is a historical year that we will tell our children about. And they will definitely be taught what happened this year. They will come home and ask me what I did. And I want to be proud of my response. Absolutely. Something that I'm trying to focus on is about who is my audience. And I don't mean this podcast audience. I don't mean the people who follow me on social media, but the audience of, you know, five people on my family WhatsApp chat, the audience of one colleague at work on your tea break, whoever you have contact with. Black people don't need to hear that black lives matter. No. Black people know that Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And I can imagine that it can be quite draining to suddenly hear a bunch of white people wake up and realise that they're privileged. Yeah. The people who need to hear are the white people. Exactly. This is a very small platform that we have, but as two white people, I feel like it is our duty to just say that we're here and whatever we can do, we will do. And there has never been a better time to decolonize your music collection, decolonize your bookshelf, decolonize your film library. Absolutely. <sighs> Let's get on with it then, I suppose. Okay, so mind over matter. We begin on the same day because they've just left the meadow. It's Saturday, the 19th of March, 2005. <laughs> All the other kids are just heading to that dance. Woo! Bo has let Edith drive the truck and they're listening to the radio and Bo asks some questions. We learn more about the Cullens. In no time, they arrive at the Swan residence and Edith goes inside with Bo. Edith watches Bo eat and then she confesses that she has been watching him sleep. <laughs> Charlie arrives and Edith vanishes. 
Bo and Charlie have dinner and Charlie asks Bo if he's still not going to the dance. And if not, is there anyone in town that he fancies? Bo makes a quick, awkward exit, making Charlie suspicious. And when he enters his bedroom, he finds Edith waiting on his bed. Edith and Bo get all snugly in bed and spend the rest of the night asking stupid questions and making disgusting declarations to one another. The end. Completely judgment-free. We are as unbiased as the BBC here. (laughs) There is a lot in this chapter. Yeah. Not to drive the plot or anything. Just a lot that's said. It's just a lot to digest and process, work through. (laughs) Okay, I have a point and I think you're going to make fun of me and think it's a ridiculous one. Okay, try me. Right at the beginning of this chapter, they are listening to the radio. Now, a 1950s song comes on and Edith knows it off by heart. Amazing. I love that genre. However... I mean, genre. Genre of music. It's an entire decade. Well, okay, a decade of music. Yeah. It's a genre decade. It's, Spotify would say it's a genre. Fine. Today, Spotify would probably say it's a genre. But if you were in the 50s... Well, obviously, but we're not in the 50s. Fine, fine. Fine, fine. fine thank you. That's not even my ridiculous <laughs> point yet. So... <laughs> So they're listening to it and Edith knows it off by heart and he's like, oh, do you like 50s? And she was like, yes. But she didn't like the 60s or 70s, but the 80s were bearable. She's fucking insane. The six, okay, not that you have to like every song from those two decades, but the 60s revolutionised music. It gave us the Beatles, it gave us Bowie, Janis Joplin, Fleetwood Mac, Carole King. I could go on. You cannot say that you don't like it because if you found the 80s bearable, it's because of what the 60s and 70s did. You're absolutely right. It is a bit silly. And I, why, why? Yeah. Just to make her seem discerning, just to make her seem like she's got opinions. I just think this is Stephanie Meyer saying, I like the 80s music because that's when I was young. Uh, Oh. Yeah. So when they both arrive to the Swan residence, Edith goes inside with Bo and she knows where the spare key is kept. And Bo just shrugs this off. He's not bothered at all. Thoughts? We know now, we find out in this chapter, that Edith has been in this house before. I mean, she must have been because remember that time she got his car keys out of his dirty jeans. Dirty. But still, when he is there... So just let yourself in very forward. And yeah, the lack of reaction, it's just very passive, which is fine. Bo's a lovely, cuddly, bottomy guy. <laughs> He's just got intense bottom energy, is what I'm intense. saying about Bo. Oh shit, I really hope I don't give those vibes today. I don't think you ever give those vibes. <laughs> You've got very strong top vibes. That's I'm just letting so you know. True. I think I speak for our listenership. <laughs> He is a bottom. And I love that for him. If he wants to just let her walk into his house and he's got no problem with it, fine. I'm just saying, even bottoms need security. I have a strike system for this chapter. This is strike one for Edith. But at this point, they are close enough. She knows that Charlie's not home. It is a very forward move, but I'm just going to say as a counter to that, devil's advocate, Bo may well be into that. Fine. I just think if we've been on maybe one or two dates with someone and they know where your spare key is... No one should know where your spare key is. I would freak the fuck out. I'd be like, I think you should leave now. 
I have a question about the way that boys behave versus the way that girls behave here. When Bo is getting something to eat, he's hunting out the leftovers. It's lasagna from the night before. So he put a square of lasagna on the plate, changed his mind and added the rest of the pan, then set the plate in the microwave. Later on, when Charlie arrives home, Charlie's like, oh, did you save me some of that? And he's like, oh, sorry, no. Bella saved Charlie a piece of lasagna. <gasps> So it's just a question to put out there into the world. Is this a boy thing? Oh my God. Because I did think when Charlie comes home, I'm like, you rude motherfucker. Yeah, Charlie makes himself a sandwich and Charlie's not got a problem with it. He's like, no, it's fine. I'll make myself a sandwich. But I don't know. Like, it depends how you read that because that could also be Charlie being quite bitter. Yeah. You ate all of the leftovers and you knew that your father was not home yet and would not have had dinner. He normally cooks for Charlie. Is this a symbol of his care for Charlie slipping as he becomes more obsessed with Edith? Maybe. Or is it just like teenage boys will be eating? Yeah, it's just, it's a really dickish move. But also when you are so enraptured with your fantasy and she's sitting right there, you're not going to want to eat all the lasagna in front of her. No, no, I'm not going to take a double portion of lasagna and eat it in front of someone who I'm trying to impress. You save that for a few weeks in. Exactly. And then be like, blah, blah, blah. Now is the time. Now that we've built a bond, test it. <laughs> Watch me eat. <laughs> <laughs> So when Edith confesses that she has been watching Bo sleep, which is strike two, by the way, mm-hmm. Bo says, it wasn't like I expected her to follow normal human rules anyway. And this statement, this one statement that Stephanie Meyer has created is exactly what is wrong with our society today. With our preferential treatment of vampires? Yeah, because politicians are vampires. You're saying that Bo does not expect the rules to apply to her because she has this power. Basically, we don't expect those in power, those with money, those with privilege, we don't expect them to follow the same rules. Yeah. And when we do, it's thrown back in our faces. Yeah. This is a tiny little moment in a young adult book about vampires, but the fact that Bo is not expecting Edith to be respectful because she is powerful means something means a great deal and then for her to then go and use her power makes it okay makes her not have any consequences you know he doesn't even get angry i would be furious absolutely and we said this about edward as well yeah i will say because we do have a tendency you and i to praise edith for everything she does but there is a reason for that Mm. and that is because she is a young woman and so doesn't have the institutional power that edward had true so it is in a way nice to see her flaunt that power yes and strength. I yeah. suppose this just takes it one step too far yeah. because we don't want to see her abuse that strength just because it's the exact same way that a man Exactly. That and like, why you gotta watch him sleep? That's so boring. He's so boring. Ah, but is it because then also not to get all blurt so soon, but um, when Bo finds out that Edith has been watching him sleep, she asks, are you angry with me? And I was like, yes! And he's like, was I? I didn't know. And then he realises the potential for humiliation was strong. If you and I flash back to the nights that Bo has had recently (laughs) and our interpretation of those nights, the potential for humiliation is strong. (laughs) True, I didn't even think of that. Oh my God, you didn't? So much, no! I was so angry. I was just thinking of like society and like power. No, I'm thinking that she has had to sit there and watch him jizz his pants. (laughs) While saying her name. (laughs) (laughs) 
The bow looks keyed up and Charlie notices. Yeah. And I'm just saying he tries. He does. He's a dad who tries. And I appreciate it. I appreciate that because I don't know what that's like. <laughs> Bo's keyed up and he goes upstairs. He's like, I'm going to have an early night. And Edith is on the bed. And Bo is like, I need some human minutes. I need to get ready for bed, brush my teeth, shower, whatever. Bo actually owns a pair of pyjamas. So at first I was like, oh my God, he has PJs. Rene did not send him to Washington without pyjamas. But then when we read on and learn what these pyjamas are, yeah. it's not a matching set. It's not like a nice plaid button down I set. mean, I don't have any problems with that i wouldn't expect it to be matching but it's the top that i have an issue with now i understand it's used as a device for them to have a conversation about later but is it necessary we all know that bow is prey so this was my issue with it the top has a pig on it in a sandwich yes it's a pig smiling between two buns yeah it's his, from his mum's favorite barbecue restaurants for a start, we've just learned that Bo is the kind of person who purchases a t-shirt from a restaurant. Yeah. You'd have thought Rene would have bought it for him, maybe. Oh, maybe, okay, yeah. Or maybe it was hers. Yeah, oh gosh. Maybe she won it from an eating contest. But Bo is so tall, it wouldn't fit him. Oh, of course, right. Yeah. So, okay, so maybe it was a gift. What bothers me, I don't know if it's the same problem that you have with this t-shirt. It reminded me of the maitre d' from the restaurant. Just stop explaining it to me, please. Mm -hmm. You know, I read about the t-shirt and I was like, oh, cool. Okay, Bo is literally wearing a t-shirt that has a picture of an animal who looks thrilled to be being eaten. About to go into his bedroom with his vampire girlfriend. Like, I like your style. And then we have to fucking talk about it. For God's sake, have faith in your readership. It's Edith who notices the t-shirt and says, should he be so happy to be food? And it's that line where I was like, fucking ruined yeah. it. Because that's what we should be thinking. And like, and if we don't, that's okay. It doesn't, it's not important. But it's a great little crunchy nugget in there that I really appreciated. That maybe you'd pick up if you read it a couple of times. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But that pig is happy to be food. And then the next page, should he be so happy to be food? Ruined it. Ruined. As we start to get into the mushiness here, I thought that Bo's respect for consent was up 20 notches. True. Very true. It's a problem that you've had with him. Yeah, it's not been a problem in this chapter for me with him. Because before we've had him like going to kiss her and her having to rush away and him really not understanding the boundaries. And here we've got what I thought was actually a really good conversation. Bo says to her, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to do. How careful do I need to be? That's great. Communication. I was like, tick. Yeah. Edith opening up and communicating, saying, you don't need to apologise. This isn't easy for me. I would prefer it if you would follow my lead. If it gets to be too much, I'll make sure that I can leave. And Bo says to her, I will make sure that it's not too much. Thrilled. Honestly thrilled. And then we get into, bring on the shackles. I am your prisoner. And it gets very kinky. <laughs> But I love this. As awkward as it may seem, have the conversation beforehand about where are the boundaries. I trust you with my boundaries. You trust me with yours. Basically, what I'm saying is, do what you want to do. Set a safe word and have at it, kids. Yeah. Bo is the big spoon. Bella was the little spoon. I just want to say it. And I just think, although he's tall, and physiologically, maybe there's some difficulties with this. 
Bo is giving me little spoon energy. Bella was the little spoon. You, as a woman, are you ever the big spoon? You can be a big spoon, right? I have been the big spoon, yes. Because the thing is, I'm quite tall, so I always go out with taller men, and sometimes they just want to be held, because they're not usually. Exactly. I do think there is an expectation that in a heterosexual couple, the man is the big spoon and the woman's the little spoon. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, it meant something to me here that Bo was the big spoon, and it felt unnecessarily Mm. gendered. Well, I mean, her size is a big thing when they get into bed together she's small she's curling up to him so what she literally couldn't reach her arms around him he's long up and down not side to side (laughs) he's so wide (laughs) (laughs) um and then she starts to hum yes and then she pauses and says what to me was some of the most unattractive words in the English language. Right, okay. Should I sing you to sleep? Oh, but doesn't Edward ask this? Yes, yes he does. I don't think I'd mentioned it before, but I wish I had. We have both been with men who like to sing. It's awful, I'll never do it again. (laughs) If anyone were to ever ask me, shall I sing you to sleep? My answer would be no, fuck off. It's funny because I've been asked many times to do it. (gasps) Mmm... Do you do it? I've done it once. <laughs> and I hated it. It's okay, this is a safe space. No, you can not. Afford it. I didn't approve of it. It was on the phone and I was in a long distance relationship. He was like, could you send me to sleep? I was like, oh God, really? It's quite, uh, it's quite personal. It's quite... Well, it's embarrassing. And then it's like, what do you sing? My pussy tastes like Pepsi Cola. <laughs> Awful. I will never, ever, ever do it again. Sometimes I listen to ASMR videos to help me sleep. What kind of ASMR videos? Not weird ones. It's just this nice lady who says that she's going to do my hair. So basically, this whole entire conversation in bed is leading up to sex. And Edith says it perfectly. Are you asking me about sex, Bo? Yes. And she is upfront in a way that Edward was never. I love it. Yeah. But it's not an easy read. And I don't know whether that's because we are old now. So it it just feels (laughs) that way. So I like to title this section as The Fragile Conversation. And it's also strike three for Edith. Because sex and Bo and Edith, impossible, basically. And she says, I don't mean to insult your manliness. What? The sentence beforehand, she's saying, you don't know how fragile you are. The only thing more fragile than Bo's beautiful little human skull is his masculinity. Ooh! And I was like, is this sarcasm? It's not. Because then she says, I could kill you quite easily simply by accident. I mean, that turned me on a little bit. But it's still not good. (laughs) It's basically just to say, I can't have sex with you or I will crush your skull. Which I was so glad that we still had the skull crushing I was going to say, I love that skull crushing sex is still a thing and it doesn't matter what gender you are. Then the final thing, I just want to read for you the final sentence of this chapter because... I think that this is supposed to be a romantic moment, and that's not the vibes I got. More tired than I realised, exhausted from a day of mental and emotional stress like I'd never felt before, I drifted to sleep with her cold body in my arms. (laughs) What's your least favourite bit first? I think we should get the bad out of the way and end on a high, if we possibly can, ever once. (laughs) 
Um, I think, like, to be a bit vague about it, like, the mushy, gooey, lovey-dovey crap, I'm like, meh, I'm kind of like... I think that's what I said last time. Yeah. But in this chapter, also, I want to know more about Edith's siblings' sex lives than hers. I don't know, I kind of see them, like, drinking vials of each other's blood. I kind of just want, like... (laughs) Who? Royal and Eleanor, like, they're so into it. They're so sex-crazed. To put a disclaimer on this whole episode, because we've done it a few times, we here at what the forks fully support all of your kinks yeah we love you get into it if you are into being a pig between buns <laughs> oh my god <laughs> then have at it we are not here to yuck anybody's yum just do whatever you do safely but chloe that is a lot for me oh I'm really sorry. well i just was like i just find it their sex and i mean can you even imagine jessamine and archie's sex just more interesting than this my least favorite bit is oh i've kind of got two but one i think is a cheat because it's just that she watched him sleep true i should have said that really not okay with edward not okay with edith to not watch people sleep but i'm just gonna throw an extra bonus one in there that really got to me and it's that beau is relieved to find out that edith is a virgin and it's just that word relieved i get it yeah you can't help how you feel but just not an attractive feeling to have like relief that she hasn't had sex implies that there would be a disappointment if she had. What's your best bit? So my best bit is that skull-crushing sex is still a thing regardless of gender. That is a great best bit. Yeah. Whatever you are, whoever you are, we all deserve skull-crushing sex. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. What's yours? My favourite bit might not be there textually 100%. Mm. But very much in my own head canon. My favourite bit of this chapter is Charlie clumsily trying to get Bo to come out of the closet. <laughs> so he comes home and obviously he, Bo's eating his lasagna. And he looks kind of keyed up and he's suspicious. And he's trying to get his son to open up a little bit. And he says, none of the girls in town are your type, eh? And at first, my response to that was, whoa, Charlie, heteronormative, assuming that Bo is into girls. But I just thought, you know what, small town Charlie, that's maybe his clumsy way of trying to get Bo to say, no, none of the girls in any town are my type. And he follows it up when Bo's just a little closed off about it. Charlie's like, oh, right, I'm gonna have to give this another go. Come on, Charlie, you can do this. (laughs) And he says, don't be too hard on a small town. I know we don't have the variety of a big city. Because Charlie's put two and two together in his head. He's like, Bo wants to go off to Seattle by himself. He doesn't want me to go with him. He's going to go find a gay bookshop. He's maybe got himself a fake ID. He's going to find the one gay club in Seattle. I don't know what Seattle's gay scene is like. Apologies if it's booming. (laughs) But I tell you one thing, it is more booming than Forks's, I assume. My burning question is, 10 people at school like Bo, are the majority of these people male? <sighs> okay, who likes Bo? Michaela. Taylor. Erica. That's three. Yeah. Add to that, Alan. Yeah. Four. That's six unaccounted for. Okay, yeah. So then I'd say it's probably 50-50. Oh, but I have literally just said that Forks does not have any gays. Yeah. But I forgot about Alan. So you know what? They are there, but there's just not like the clubs, the bars, the coffee shops, the bookshops. What Forks needs is a little LGBT plus bookshop. 
Absolutely. I do want to make it clear we are talking about the fictional version of Forks. Maybe, and hopefully, it's got a thriving LGBTQ plus scene, but I don't know it. And it's not represented in these books. So I would say what Alan and Bo need to do is go away to college, grow up a little bit, move back home to Forks and set up that bookshop so that the teens have somewhere to meet and commune and um, find each other. Amen. And find themselves. Beautiful. What's next week? The Cullens. Chapter 15, The Cullens. Exciting times. Because, you know, once you have the sex chat, you've got to meet the parents. Oh, of course. Once she's been able to hear your boner. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for chapter 14 of Life and Death. Join us next time for chapter 15, The Cullens. You can find us on social media by searching at ForksCast. And you can rate, review and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, take care, use a safe word. And remember, I'm a top.